0: Well, if you are just joining us, what we have been doing is we have been spending our, our fall and, in Genesis. And really just going through, uh, really it's going to take us through Genesis, really just through, through 11. And what we see with, with Genesis is what's kind of dominated our time together, is that what's dominated our time together has uh, been the story of Noah. And this has been the story that maybe you were told as a child, uh, maybe you heard of it. It's one of those stories that people are familiar with, even if they're not familiar with the Bible. They go, well, there was, there was something about Noah. Sometimes there's the mix-up between Noah and Moses. Didn't Noah part the Red Sea? Like, no, that was Moses. And so there, there could be a mix-up there. But really, when we talk about Noah, we talk about the ark. We talk about the flood. And so we, we, we hear these things. And really what we have seen, just to recap a little bit here, is that the flood is, is God's judgment on the world, on humanity. And what it says before that, it says that things were so bad, so bad that the, that the world was increasing in violence and corruption. And the, the question that happens when, when the world increases in violence and corruption, as it is currently increasing in violence and corruption, the question that begs us is, is how bad does it have to get and who will do something about it? Those are the two questions, right? How bad does this have to get and who is going to do something about this? And so what it says in the scriptures is that the violence and corruption is getting so bad, and then God finally says, it's not going to get any worse than this. I'm going to step in, and I'm going to do something about it. And so he answers the two questions that we even asked today, which is, which is that, that how bad does it have to get? God's like, no more. And then he says, uh, and who's going to do something about it? God says, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to bring judgment on this world. And what we saw is that God used the rain, right? The waters came up and the, the rain came down, and the waters that, 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 that brought judgment on the world, the same waters also brought salvation to, to, to Noah and his family. And so often it's interesting, we think that judgment comes here, and salvation comes this way, but actually what we see is that judgment and salvation come from the same place, right? Where else do we see that? We go, that's the cross, right? Is the cross both condemns us and saves us. The cross says that we should be on the cross, but Jesus is on the cross, and so the the cross both condemns us, and the the cross saves us and so we see this as true actually we see this as true in the beginnings of Genesis and, and that's what I love. I love when we can we can we can follow this thread, and we're going to actually follow one of these another thread this morning because what, what we talked about what John talked about last week is this idea that then then the Noah gets off of the ark, makes a sacrifice, right. And then God makes a covenant with him. Now, if you're not really sure what a covenant is, it's just it's a contractual agreement between two parties, right? But a little more than that, because like, you think about a contractual agreement or something that's maybe transactional. You go, say like you go to buy a car, and you don't have the cash up front to buy the car. So what do you do? You take out a loan. What they tell you with the car is that you go to buy the car and then they say, okay, now you need to go to finance, and you go to financing, and you have to you have to initial all of that paperwork, but you know what all the most of that paperwork is for? Is they want to know, are you going to pay back the money? That's what they want to know. They're going to run a credit check. How high of a credit risk are you? What they want is they want the money. And so what you do is if you take out a loan on a car or a house, you do the same thing, right? You're, you're entering into a, a, a contractual agreement to say, I will pay this back. Will you pay this back, initial this page? Yes. Will you pay this back, initial this page, and initial here? I, yes, yes, I will do it. I will do it. And then you sign it at the back, and you've entered into a co- contractual agreement with them. And so you make a promise. The promise is what? You will give them their money. And from that promise, they're going to give you a benefit. What's the benefit? A car, right? You get, to, you get to drive places now. You can go from point A to point B and not worry about it breaking down, hopefully, right? And so the promise is, I will pay you back. The benefit is, I get a car. But a covenant's different. So there's still a contractual agreement part to it, but there's something that's very relational to a covenant. That's why you don't enter in, you don't go to, you don't, when you go to buy a car, you don't go into coventing. You know, you go into financing, right? Because you're going to enter a contractual agreement. But covenant's different. Covenant has to do with relationship. And so you might think about, maybe even when we talk about, like, at at church you may hear something like the membership covenant. And what it's saying is that you're entering into a contractual relational agreement. So it's not just money and then a car, but actually there's relationships that are involved. And the, I think the probably for us is, is the most is, probably the most obvious example for us, even in Scripture and even today in our culture, is marriage, right? Marriage is a covenant relationship. And so when you enter into the relationship, the covenant relationship, right, is that there are promises made. What are the promises, right? Sickness or in health, you know? For richer or for poor. So whether you are you are super healthy or unhealthy, or if you are rich like we hit the lottery, you're still mine. Or if we are in the poorhouse, you're you're still mine. Those are the promises that are made. And so we see that it, and and the, the the covenant relationship promises are made, and and there's the, there's there's the benefits, and then and then I will promise those things same things to you. And so we still see some of a lot of the same things, but they're entering into a covenant relationship. And one of the big beautiful truths about the Bible is that God desires to be in a covenant relationship with us. I think so often sometimes in Christianity we just think, well, yeah, of course. Of course God wants to be in relationship with with me. I mean, does he know me? Of course he knows me. Of course he wants to be in relationship with me. But one of the big crazy ideas about the Bible is that God is God and we are not, and yet he desires to enter into a covenant relationship with us. And this is what we see with Noah, a covenant relationship. It's interesting because I think at the at the end of the day we all whether you're agnostic or Christian or or somewhere around there we all have this sense that God is a God who loves to make agreements have you ever made a, an a, like a deal with God Of course you have right <laughs> I've done it you've done it we've all entered into like an agreement like okay God like, well, I don't know about you I mean, yeah I know about you I know about you I know about me You're in church of the grieving, like okay, God, okay, God, okay. All right, here's the deal. I love that. All right, here's the deal, God. I feel like God's up there, like, oh, do tell. What is the deal? What What is the deal that you have for me? All right, God. Here it is. Got a prayer, and if you answer that prayer, I will go to church for the whole month, every single Sunday. God, I will. I will go. I will shake hands. I will shake hands with people. I, I, will, I will even bring my Bible to church. If you answer this prayer, then I will do this for you. Right? And then the prayer doesn't get answered. prayer doesn't get answered. You pray it more, and then you're like, okay, okay, all right, all right. Let me sweeten the deal for you, God. Let me sweeten the deal for you. Oh, I don't want, want to go here, but I'll go here, is that actually, if you answer the prayer, I'll go to church for two months. I'll go to two months in a row. Like a whole two months. Like God's like, like, like God's up there going like, oh, well, no, one month. I was like, no, that's really a two-monther. And uh, I would like to see three months, but you know what? I'll compromise on the two. Because like, here's the question, right? What could we ever offer a God who has no needs? In a a covenant, in a a relationship with God, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bargain with him and we're working with a relationship with him, an agreement with him that's more transactional than it is relational. Right? And so we're trying to interact with God in a transactional level and he's, with a covenant, he's actually saying, no, I would actually like to interact with you on a relational level. The transactional level, level, God, I will do this for you if you will do this for me. You rub my back, I'll rub your back. But the problem is with a transactional, if you're trying to live in a transactional relationship with God, my question to you is, what could you ever give God that he doesn't already have? Or do you think that you are going after a God who has needs? The scripture tells he's a God who has no needs. And the crazy thing is, is even in when our bargaining with God, the things that we are offering him, who are they benefiting the most? That's us. You know, go to church for a month, God. Who's that benefiting? Well, well maybe God. I'll make God look good. God, God looks good with or without you. He doesn't need you to make him look good. Who's that for? That's for you. And the interesting thing is that we've promised God, God, if you will answer this prayer, I will do something that benefits me. And here's the crazy thing, is I know from your story, I know from my story, I know from stories in the Bible where God has taken us up on those offers. I mean, some of you have come to church because you made, it, you made a deal with God. You said, God, if you do this, if you heal this person, God, if you come through, if you do this for me, I will actually, I will, I will, I will come to you. I will go to church. And I know people, I know people, that's their story. Faithful right now, serving in the church. And you ask them, how did you start going to church? They said, I made a deal with God. I said, if God did this, I'd go to church. God did that, I went to church. I go, that's good. So it's interestingly enough that God even holds us to that. And here's the other thing. I know people that say, I made a deal with God. God did that, and I didn't do that. I go, I, 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 I wouldn't do that. You know, I, I mean, I, I mean, If you made a deal with God, yeah, I would. I would follow through on that. He followed through on his part, followed through on his part, your part. So here's the thing. So we, we, we follow a God who wants to, but he wants to be in a covenant relationship with us. That's what we see in Noah. And so we're going to follow this through a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open with me to Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. So we're going to start. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him Behold, I establish my covenant with you, and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And so one of the things we see with covenants is that typically what we see with covenants is we see an oath is made, a sign is given, a ceremony is, is, is carried out. Right so every time you see a covenant for the most part you see an oath right a sign and then a ceremony and so just to give you an example go back go back to to a marriage right a wedding the promises are made right you've you've probably been to a wedding promises are made they they promise each other what's the sign the ring is the sign right And then there's the ceremony, right? There's witnesses to this event. There's witnesses to these promises. And so whenever we see the covenant in here, we see other witnesses, right? And part of this, we're witnessing it because it's being recorded in Scripture. So we get to witness the ceremony. This is what we saw last week with with Noah. he, He offered it up. There's the ceremony. And then there's the covenant made, the promises. And you go, and what's the promise here? So, right? Ceremony, promise, sign, or oath and sign. So what's, what's the oath? What's the promise? God says, never again will I destroy the world through flood. And so you, you might think, like, that's a really specific promise. Like, a really specific promise. Because, by the way, it's not that he will never judge the world again, right? Because we actually know from Scripture that, Yo know, he goes, yes, I'm going to judge the world. But what he says is, I'm never going to judge the world again in this way. I'm never going to bring another flood on the world. Now, you may think that's a really specific promise. But I'll tell you who that promise is probably most most important to. It's probably Noah. You see, Noah, when it begins to rain again, how does he know it will stop? I think about Noah. We talked about, remember, we talked about these, these children pictures where like Noah's up there. He's having a great time. There's a great old party going on in the ark. But really, the, the reality of this is this is a very traumatic event. I mean, people died. And we talked about the things that when you see a community that floods, it's not pristine Caribbean water, right? It's full of debris. and In this case, it would have been full of death. A very traumatic experience. The rain was coming down, the waters were coming up very traumatic experience and if you've ever had anything have you ever gone through a traumatic experience when the when the, the the elements of that of that traumatic experience begin to pop back up they, they can send you like you know, like a pcSD right it's just it can be a trigger for you I mean think about if you're in a really bad car accident or think about it, a, a traumatic event for you did you ever return to the places of that event you ever been through a really bad car accident i've heard people go through really bad car accidents they go i can't go back to that intersection not yet i can't i drive around it i go i go a mile out of the way to go around it why i can't do it because even approaching that place brings anxiety in me you ever been through a traumatic place traumatic experience My guess is that as you return to those elements, what happens is anxiety rises because you go, last time I was here, let me tell you exactly what happened. Or if you're in a bad car accident, sometimes it can even be through screeching tires, even on a TV screen can bring you back to that moment or you know what that's like. And so it's interesting here that God says, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm never going to flood the world again. You see, Noah is going to experience rain again. My question is, then how does he know it will stop? Because what he has is the promise of God. I'm not going to do that again. Now, as Californians, if it rains seven days in a row, we lose our minds, right? Like, what? What? Is there a God? Is there a God? When will I see the sun again, right? And we feel like that having never experienced even the flood. But I go, how does Noah know when it starts to rain again that it's not going to happen again? Because God said, I'm not going to do it again. And so in the middle of the storm, all that Noah has is the promises of God. I mean, Noah, he didn't for the risk of stating the obvious, he doesn't have a seven-day forecast, right? He doesn't go, oh, well, it looks like the rain's going to clear on Wednesday, so we're okay. All he knows is that last time it rained, it didn't stop. It didn't stop. And then when God says, basically, it's going to rain again, but when it rains again, I want you to know in the middle of the storm that I will not flood the world again. And so in the middle of the storm, all that Noah has is the promises of God. And what's the promise? I'm not going to do it again. The rain will cease. The world will not be destroyed. I define faith as the act of belief and trust in the promises of God. Faith as the act of belief and trust in the promises of God. God's made some promises, and I'm going to act as if those promises are reality, even though they're not currently like part of my reality. And so what we said is that before, right, we said that, that Noah built the ark out of faith. God says, I'm going to bring judgment on the world. The world, I'm going to flood the world, Noah, build, build an ark. So that's the promise of God. I'm going to flood the world, so build an ark. And so out of faith, God, uh, Noah says, I'm going to make decisions based on that promise. I'm going to build myself an ark, and he does. But after the flood, what's the promise? I'm not going to do that again. And so we think the big act of faith by Noah is that he builds the ark and gets in it. When I should go, that is a big act of faith. But do you know that there's a second act of faith, or there's multiple acts of faith, but there's a second act of faith in which Noah never, ever builds an ark or gets in an ark again? Why? Because of the promises of God. I think if I'm Noah, it starts to rain again. I go, well, you know, let me just go check on the ark. Let me I mean, I, I should probably see how it's doing, right? I mean, just kind of make sure it's all sturdy still, everything's in place, just in case. Is that faith? That's not faith. The faith of Noah had him build the ark based on the promises of God, but the faith of Noah also had him not build another ark or get in another ark when it rained the next time. Why? Why? The promise, the oath, the covenant is that I will never do this again. Goes on then in 12. It says this, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all of the flesh that is on the earth. It's one thing for God to give a promise. It's another thing for him, by the way, for God to give a promise to humanity is by by grace alone, right? He doesn't doesn't owe us anything. And so for even him to make a promise, like I'll never do that again, Noah. That's by grace but even more grace that he would give a sign that reminds us of that covenant. I made some promises, and and, and I made some promises, and I want you to remember the promises. And so I'm going to give you a sign to remember said promises. Now here it says, right, that, that God would remember, but the idea is that it's going to be a sign to you that God has not forgotten you. Because God's not like, it's not like he sees the rainbow and goes, oh, that's right, that's right. And I said, I wouldn't do that again. Let me cease all of it. What is it? It's a sign that says that this, when, when, the, when, when Noah would see the rainbow, he'd go, God remembers me. God remembers me. He sees the rainbow. He remembers me. That's not for God. That's for Noah. And so it's by grace that he didn't even give a sign. What does he give here? What's the sign of the covenant? The rainbow. Immediately, we think about a rainbow in the sky. We think we think beauty, right? We think we think beauty. But actually, the word here is bow in the sky. A bow in the sky. It's it's used here for what we usually say as a rainbow. It's used here in Ezekiel as what we understand as a rainbow. But everywhere else in the New Testament or the Old Testament, it's like used another like seventy times in the Old Testament. Do you know what it refers to? Like a bow, like a bow and arrow, an instrument of war. God says, when you see my bow in the sky, no longer is it judgment. When you see, my, when you see the bow in the sky, what it's going to be is hope. And interestingly enough, that's exactly what it is. And here's the beautiful thing about the rainbow, is that it's directly connected to what? To the promise. In other words, it's not like, it's not like uh, God says to Noah, every time you see a full moon, You will know that I won't bring rain on the earth, like like that, a flood on the earth. What is it? The rainbow, the rainbow is in a direct connection to the storm. For you cannot have a rainbow without a storm. Even we know today, with all of our science, we know how the rainbow happens. We know that there has to be a storm that passes. For the rainbow to show up. And most often in our stories, right, in our, especially because we live in California, the rainbow doesn't come before the storm. The rainbow cannot come in the storm. But the rainbow only comes after the storm. And interestingly enough, for the promises to show up, the, 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 the sign of the promise to show up, it's, a, it's this combination of storm and sun. Now no one didn't know that science. God knew that science. But it's this mixture of it requires both the storm and the sun. The darkness of the sun with the brightness, sorry, the darkness of the storm with the brightness of the sun. Intermingling to give what? A sign of hope. And you may not know much about Noah, but you know there's, there's a rainbow in there somewhere. It's like, God's like, and, and for your hard days, I gave you a rainbow. Like, what, what is it? It's a sign that God says, I, I remember my promises. And sometimes in the middle of the storm, as the storm is approaching, you don't have anything except for the promises of God. And God says, I'm going to give you the rainbow to show you that. Interestingly enough, even today, so right, not every storm gives you a rainbow. There's not a rainbow in every cloud, right? But when rainbows show up, I love, you love a rainbow? You don't need to be a Christian to love a rainbow. I mean, it's something beautiful. I mean, a rainbow shows up in the sky. Kids, come out of the house. Get out of here now. (laughs) It's it's going all the way. It's going. It's it's making it. It's going. Like, you're like, I don't know. I I cheer for the rainbow. I'm like, yes, it's like, it's getting fuller. You take pictures of it. You call friends, families. Get outside. There's a rainbow in the sky. What is it? It's a sign. Even today, thousands of years later, it's a sign of hope. I mean, no, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody discouraged by a rainbow. Well, there's a rainbow in the sky. I'm like, well, that storm's raining on somebody somewhere, you know. It's like nobody thinks that. What do we think? Hope, a new day. And what, what God tells No, is what I want you to think is that the promises are true. You know, the sign of the covenant by the way, it's not the promise. But it's a reminder that a promise has been made. The sign of the covenant is not the covenant, but it is a sign that a promise, the covenant, has already been made. I mean, going back to the the, the marriage illustration, right? What's the sign of the covenant, the, the ring? But the ring makes them, a couple, makes them know if you makes you no less or more married than you were before. What is it? It's a sign. And like that, with what happens, like, I've, I've done weddings, by the way, uh, and, and, and in a wedding, what, what I do is, 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 is interesting, because like I'll, I'll explain every wedding you've ever been to probably right now, is that they face, they face me, or they face the pastor, or the priest, or whoever's doing the wedding, they face them in a Christian wedding, and when they're facing me, basically I'm saying, I'm, I'm the representative of God. So I'm saying, so okay, so, so I'm asking you, will you, do you, yes, I do. And I go, okay, okay will you, yes, I do. And what they're, they're, they're actually making a promise and an oath in this, in this relationship. And then what I say to them, I say, now face each other. Now you're going to make some promises to each other. Now after all of that's been done, after all of that's been said, you know what I say then? I say, now, now we're going to exchange the rings. And what I say about the rings is I say this, this ring is a sign, right? This ring is a sign to you. This ring is a sign to them. This ring is a sign when you go out to dinner and someone says, he looks cute. That's a sign. No, he's married. He's a married man, right? It's a sign to the world. Of what? Of the promises made in this moment. There's the covenant, the promises, and the sign. God gets it and he calls us to it. And so in this, this is not the only place, by the way. There's actually a theme of covenants in the Bible. You can actually trace them. We don't have the time to trace them. I'll I'll, I'll go over them a little bit, but we don't have time to get into all of them. Well, often what you see is a sign, sorry, an oath made, then a, a sign, then a, then a ceremony. And we say with Noah, right, it's the the promise was made. I'm never going to flood the world again. And then the sign is, and then I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky to remind you of the promise that I gave you. But then Abraham comes along. This is, we're not going to cover that this, this fall, but it's in Genesis 12. Abraham comes along and that's what God does with Abraham. He makes, a, he makes a covenant with Abraham called the Abrahamic covenant. And do you know what he promises him? He promises him a land and a people. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to give you a land. And the world is going to be blessed through you. Do you know what the sign is? Circumcision, right? And the idea with the circumcision is that is, you know, with fertility, right, is that your fertility and your future as generations give generations to give generations there's the sign which is the circumcision that your future and your fertility both belong to God. And then remember they all go down into the Isra- to Egypt and they're a slave nation down there and God says I'm going to get my people And when he calls, he uses Moses to call them out. And when Moses Moses brings them out, leads them out into the wilderness, you know what God does with the people of Israel? Makes a covenant with them. Do you know the the, the promise that he makes with them? He says, I'm going to continually bless you if you're faithful. That's the Mosaic covenant. I'm going to continue. If if you're faithful, here's what I will do for you. If you are unfaithful, this is what's going to happen. And really, what long story made short, he says, if you're faithful, you're going to get land. It's going to be a blessing to you. If you're unfaithful to me, you're going to lose the land. Do you know the sign of the covenant? The Sabbath. To the slave nation, he says, I want you to take a day off. And in taking a day off, what what I want you to know is that I'm the one who provides for you. Sometimes the reason why people can't take a day off is because they they think that if I stop working, the world will stop. False. If I don't go into work, you know what's not going to get done? The company will fall apart. False. Well, the company may fall apart, but the world's not going to stop. The Sabbath is what? That God is my provider. God is the one who gives me rest. The Sabbath is not a burden as much as it is a grace. So where circumcision would say that that your your future and your fertility belong to God, what the Sabbath says is that your, your present belongs to him too. That not only is he the one that gives you a future, right? circumcision, fertility, he's also the one who gives you a present and provides for your present the Sabbath day. He makes a covenant with David. There's actually no sign with that one but the, really the promise to David is that I'm going to keep your line. Like, you're, like, I'm going to establish your throne. But the mosaic one is the one that stands in place for a very long time. But then they break it. They're unfaithful. And God says, if you're unfaithful to it, you will lose, you will lose the land. And they are unfaithful to the covenant. And guess what happens eventually? They lose the land. And in the middle of them losing the land, breaking the promise, they, they broke the oath. They couldn't keep the covenant. And in the middle of not keeping the covenant, you know what God does? He makes a new promise to them. The promise of a new covenant that's going to come. I'm going to take you there right now. And you find this in Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, so this is the place where, where they've been unfaithful to the covenant. They've lost the land. And in the middle of them losing the land, God speaks a new word to them. This is what he says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant that I made, that their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, My covenant that what? That they broke. He's like, it's not like that covenant. They couldn't keep it. Even though I I took them by the hand out of Egypt, I did everything that I said I would do. I kept all of my promises. They're the ones that couldn't keep it. He's saying it's not like that covenant. He says, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here comes the new promise. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So God says, i got a new promise coming. And here's the new promise. The new promise is that there's, I'm going to do something. I'm going to enter into a new relationship with my people. And here's the promise. I'm going to put my law on their hearts. My spirit will be within them. And and they're going to... The law in their hearts, their spirit empowering them, they're going to love each other. And I will remember their sins no more. That's the promise. The new covenant, not only do we get the spirit of God, not only do we get the law in our hearts, but the, the beautiful thing... All that would be more than enough, but he says, I'll remember your sins no more. And so this is the new covenant. By the way, this is given seven hundred years before the new covenant comes. And then Jesus comes, and then he says, By the way, I've got the new covenant. The one that Jeremiah spoke about seven hundred years ago, I I have the new covenant. And that's why Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, that's why he says that. He says, I, I have the new covenant. The one promised 700 years ago, and I love the one, because it was a promise that a promise is coming. And when it comes, Jesus says, I, I have the new covenant. The night that he's betrayed, the Last Supper, Jesus speaks of the, last, the, the new covenant. And then Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he quotes it. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he gave it, when he, he sorry, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance for me, of me. In the same way also he took the cup and after supper saying, This is the cup of the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of, of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. As often as you drink. So you eat of this bread. And drink of the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. And so he says I have a new covenant. And in this new covenant. I remember your sins no more. The spirit is upon you. And it will empower you. To to carry out what I've asked you to carry out. And as a sign, so it's a weird way that that, that his blood and his body, that is the new covenant, and then what we do as communion is a sign of that new covenant. Once again, promises are made, you're going to get a new spirit, I will remember your sins no more. Right? The sign is given, The act of communion. And the ceremony is observed. The actually taking of communion. And so what we see in Genesis after after Noah, which is the promise, the oath, the sign of the oath, and then the ceremony of the oath, is then Jesus comes and says, I got a new oath. I got a new covenant with you, a new promise to you. And here is the new promise. Your sins will be remembered no more. Here is the sign, which is, which is communion. And is the ceremony, the, the, the taking of communion. And God says, I want you to remember. You remember this. You proclaim his death until he comes. Interesting thing here that he doesn't say you proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes. You proclaim his death. Why? Why? Because he died the death that we should have died, right? What communion is? What communion is? A communion is a reminder that you are that you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. People go, what, what, "What's communion?" Oh, it's you know, communion is a time for me to recommit. I go, "You might recommit communion, but that's not what it's about." And Jesus does not say, and do this every time you want to recommit to me. Or do this every time you even want to be forgiven for sins. The Communion is not about being forgiven for sins. The sign of the covenant is, the, is, is, the, is, is, remember, the power is not in the sign, but it's actually in the covenant. A reminder of what's already happened. And I, I talk with Christians and I'm guilty of this too, is like of like being trapped in a sin, but then always feeling like like you have to go to forgiveness and you're like, did God forgive me?" And I go, but communion is a reminder that he remembers my sin no more. Amen. So we don't come to, to experience communion, hoping that God will hear our prayers and forgive our sin. We come to the table knowing that our sins in Christ are already forgiven. And just like Noah, by faith, Noah built the ark because of the promises of God. But by faith, Noah never gotten an ark or built another ark again because of the promises of God. By faith, to become a Christian, you believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you in the forgiveness of sins. And by faith, as a Christian, you believe that that's enough. So you who are maybe just begging that God would forgive you, if you are a Christian, he already has. That's the cross. And communion is a sign that you have already been forgiven. This morning we're going to take communion. Communion thought it would be appropriate (laughs) as we talk about the sign that we would take it together. And know that that if you're not a Christian then communion is not for you. And the reason I say that is not to exclude you but to say because then you're partaking of a sign of something that's not true of you. And I, I pray more than anything that that would be true of you. And so if that's you then yes, then then trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That what he did for you on the cross was enough. And that you are saved not by your own righteousness, not by your own goodness, but by his righteousness and his goodness. That's what it means to be a Christian. That you proclaim his death until he comes. And if you are a Christian, this morning you come to the table with a celebration and a reminder, not that God forgives sins, but God has already forgiven your sin. And this morning is a reminder of that new covenant. There's two ways you can do this. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, I'll be up here, Queen, you'll be over here, and you can come and you can kneel, and you can put your hand out, and we'll give you the bread, and you can pray a little more, you can do whatever you do, want to do, but you take the bread, you can put your hand back out, and then, We'll give you the grape juice. Um, you can you can go to the back. There's the non-gluten option back there. You can go to the back. You can take it back there. You can bring it back as a couple. If you're a couple, you can take it as a family if you'd like to, at your, back there or at, your, at your table. But what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then the tables will be open. And I said this morning, it's just a, it's, it's, it's a reminder that we proclaim his death until he comes, that we are a part of the new covenant, that we take the sign of the new covenant and the ceremony of the new covenant. Let's pray, Jesus. We thank you that we have reason to come to you. That you have invited us, not because we have earned the invitation, not because uh, you you have wanted us uh, so bad because of, of anything that's in us, but because because of your your love for us, of your character has has driven you to this. We thank you that you didn't just leave Noah the promise, that, we could, that you'd never flood the world again, although that's a beautiful promise, more than anyone could ever expect, but you got more specific than that. that we, get to, we get to hang our lives, our faith, on something, something more profound than, than, than just you'll never flood the world again. We get to hang our, our faith on this idea that you will remember our sins no more. That's true not only of eternity, but that's true of today. We remember our sins. We count our sins. But God, you do not. And I know just here, I, by faith, there are people that need to trust you, that you are the one who offers the forgiveness of sins. And I know that there's there's some here that that are, are Christians that are in the new covenant that need to trust the same thing, that you are the one who does the forgiveness of sins. And that you remember their sin no more. Thank you. We love you. We pray for these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.